Um, <clears throat> so a couple, I don't know, it's been a few weeks now, I guess. Uh, I saw this shared thing on social media um, and it read, you can't be a Christian and hate gay people. You can't be a Christian and hate people of a different skin color. You can't be a Christian and hate people for living differently than you. You can't be a Christian and hate people. That's not Christianity. It almost felt weird to even talk about this because it's like, it's almost like, I don't know, taboo or bullied into if you even start to have a problem with anything that was said there, why in the world did you have a problem with that? Like what, why, what, what about that would bother me or cause me to even be I'm bringing that up in any way other than just promoting it or saying it as this, you know. Um, so why as a Christian would that bother me? And it's because there's this tactic to drill into your and my and everybody else's head that convictions equal hatred. And being as hatred of people isn't Christian-like, uh, you have to compromise on your convictions to be a true Christian. It's just a complete manipulation. Um, so don't be confused by what I'm saying. On the, on the surface, those statements are true. They're true things. There's not, um, you know, whatever. Um, they're true, but they're not honest. It's not an honest statement. Because what that type of statement means is, or post means is, um, if you believe homosexuality is a sin you hate gay people and you can't be a Christian. If you, if I, the, the author of this, if I decide to label you as a racist, which I will do based on your, on your color, based on your politics, anything, really anything that I choose, then you're hateful and you can't be a true Christian. If you offend me by having any convictions or moral standards that conflict with my lifestyle, lifestyle, then you hate me and you can't be a true Christian. So this tactic is absolutely nothing new. I, I, I'm, I came out of, um, I don't even know when it was, how old I was when I realized that I was a Republican. <laughs> I had conservative views. Um, but the tactic is not new. It's bothered me for many, many years. And I, I, I say whatever about it. I, I recognize this thing that is done that is like this bullying or this shaming or this way of wording things that is not it's not honest. It's a manipulation of something. And it's the same thing that I've said for, I think every time I've gotten up here and shared anything, I say the same thing at some point that there's an aspect of what we see that the world is defining Christianity for us. Right. Um, and the strange thing is, is that I witnessed for, for many years, the world defining what Christianity was for us, but I didn't see Christians really caving to that. At some point, I did. At some point, I recognized and saw, oh, this is actually working. Many, many, many Christians are allowing the world to define for them what Christianity is. Um, so that obviously bothered me and annoyed me for however long it did. But then I started to think, and my, my point here is, my mindset was I'm looking at something that I'm able to see. I'm able to look at something that's taking place, not just in the 
world, but in the church. And we're able to look at this and rightly judge it and see this error in this from where we're standing. We can look at that and go, oh my gosh, these things are happening within the church that are massive, major, big compromise. And then I thought, what would we be shown? What would I see about where I'm at? If there was, if I'm here and I'm looking over to here at something, if something over here was looking to over here, whether this represents time or um, progression or something, what would I be shown about where I'm at? Where would we see the things that we've compromised on? Where would we see the things that we've let go of? Um, and, I, and I was applying to this when I'm thinking about that. I'm applying the viewpoint from not so much the God who do, a God who doesn't change, a God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, but maybe from someone who has a, a closer understanding to what that means. I, don't, I didn't pin it down to a point in time in my mind, but it could be maybe even the very beginnings of like the New Testament church that would look at us now and go, you're, you're not so far away that you're allowing these things into your life and into your church and into, into your, who you are, but you've allowed all these things into it. You've compromised on all of these things. Um, Malachi 3, 6 and 7. It says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, and this really is the I don't know this stood out to me big. But you said, in what way shall we return? Let that just minister to you if it does. I don't know how else to... That's, that jumped out to me. In what way shall we, shall we return? What I am saying is that we, we can rightly judge between right and wrong. When we see much compromise in the church, do we clearly see it in our own selves, in our own lives? I don't believe it's enough to simply look at the church um, as what they're getting wrong and make sure we're staying a remnant by not being drawn that way. Romans 12.2, I know Romans 12.2 well. I've actually, back when I was doing youth stuff, I, I, this was like my running thing. Um, Romans 12.2 tells us to not be conformed to this world, which is exactly what the church is doing. But it further tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. I see that as kind of a two-part both things. Um, so the, our, the kids had never seen Fiddler on the Roof. Um, I only watched Fiddler on the Roof for the first time this last year. And, but the kids and I watched it over Christmas break. And um, I loved the fact that they loved the movie as much as I love that movie. Um, I really love that movie. Uh, but so now I've watched it twice, and even the first time I watched it and the second time I watched it, I am, as much as I love it, I'm actually conflicted by the message in this, in this movie. Um, and so those that haven't seen it, um, 
it's been enough, you've had enough time to see it. So if you haven't seen it, I'm gonna go ahead and spoil it for you. Um, and that's on you for having not watched it yet because it's been out since before. So those that haven't seen it, too bad. It, it is. There's so many things about that movie that are just. We 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 pulled up the. Um, I was trying to find like during Hanukkah. I was trying to find just different music that I felt like worked in the house and what the what the feel of what we were doing. And finally, I was like, I'm just gonna listen to Fiddler on the Roof soundtrack. And the kids were like, What is this? So we watched it. Wow. Um, Late in the game, guys. <laughs> yeah. No, I had already seen it. Well, I don't, that's, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but the main character, Tevye, he's got five daughters, and throughout the movie, his traditions are challenged. Uh, they're challenged in the way that his three oldest daughters choose their husbands. There's more to it, there's depth to the movie, but that's, for the sake of this, that, I mean, that's the key element to this movie, is the running progression of his three daughters and how they're, how they're, betrothed or married. Um, the first daughter, she desperately wants the man that she loves with whom she's already made a pledge to hurry and ask her father if he can marry her before her father tells her who she's matched with. There's a matchmaker. I know that you just in your head, matchmaker, matchmaker. That just happened for sure. Um, uh, you know, there's their tradition is the matchmaker finds for them who they're supposed to marry, and the, and the father tells them, makes that ultimate decision of this is who it's going to be. Um, but the first daughter, she's made a pledge on her own to the man that she loves, but she still wants... Yeah. <laughs> I know. Uh, and she really wants him to gain this courage to ask her father for his permission before, she, before he matches her with somebody. But the, the key element there of how she's doing it is that her and her, who she has this pledge with, it's critical to them. They, they still need to have their father's permission and their father's blessing. They make that very clear. They're, it's, they're, they're, they don't even insinuate that there's another option. They have to have their father's permission and blessing. They've messed with the tradition in the way that they've not let him make that decision for them, but they're keeping the rest of these. That's it. They've just compromised on that one thing. And also the man that she's marrying is closer to her father's. It's closer to that, the way they've been raised with their traditions. He's more of that traditional man. The second daughter is similar, but she and her man make it clear they're not asking for her father's permission, only his blessing. They're going to do it either way. They make that clear. He's even confused by that, like, you want my permission? They're like, no, we're not asking for your permission. We just want your blessing. They're still going to do it. Um, he's a little bit different from the, from the first husband. He's more progressive. He's back from some liberal college, probably in Kiev. Uh, but he's, he's further away, you know, moving from their traditions. And the third daughter falls in love with a Russian, non-Jew, one of the ones that are occupying their, their, their village Anatevka, I think. Um, not of their faith. Totally, totally different. And they're not seeking their father's permission or blessing. They just, they're just going to 
they don't have it, and they're just gonna they're just gonna move on and do it. And so you see this pro- this progression of compromise, and how much compromise is too much? Where has it gone too far? There's aspects of the movie that I I really love. Like he's he's upset at the he's so he's so ups- he allows the compromise in the first. He accepts the progression in the second. He even speaks about. Um, What's his name? What's the, what's the one that comes back from Kiev's name? Perchek? Yes. Um, her father thinks he's a good man. But when it comes to marrying outside of the faith, father's done. He won't even talk to her. He doesn't let the family, she, he's dead to them. Doesn't let the family talk about them. At the very end, you see a little glimpse of something. And it, it's where I'm actually conflicted on that. It's like in my, in my own watching of it, I wanted to actually have it be like, no, you crossed the line. You went too far. It's enough. It's done. More from a, because I'm applying it to a spiritual walk. I'm applying it to the things of God. I'm applying it to, I'm, I'm allowing it to be symbolic to me, not just so literal in what it is and their traditions. Right? Um, not so literal in their traditions, but the representation of, of where they're, of their, of their, of their walk, I guess. And so without saying much more, that, 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 if you've seen the movie, I think you get enough of where I, where I'm, I see the, where I myself am conflicted in that. Um, and I hope if, if I've explained enough of it that you can see that anyway. Um, but we can apply that to our own lives and areas that we've compromised. Are there traditions of men that we hold to? Jeanette has spoken of traditions of men many times and are there traditions of men that we hold to that that should be let go of or just holding on to them because there are traditions of men and is there this this meddling of it or this mixing of it and this confusion of it of like are we letting too much go now and what do we have left and what are we again what would it look like if somebody could re- I, I actually desperately want that I wish I wish that someone who I knew that truly I could just know for 100% certain they're right and I could remove myself from the idea of, well, that sounds like legalism or that sounds like extremism or that sounds like that they could just say, no, this for sure is what the Lord wants for you and this is how you're to live and this is how uncompromising you're supposed to be. And I could go, I would be like, thank you for sharing that with me because I want to see that. I want to know that. Um, and as I've been reading the Bible the last couple of weeks, I, I really have been reading the Bible with this eye to see how an unchanging God doesn't do things the same way throughout all times. So God doesn't change, but we yet we see these things that are done differently. And we, know, and we have the word of God that tells us he's an unchanging God. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And yet we see all these things that we don't, that we don't still do it that way. The things have changed. Um, and I've been asking the Lord, reveal to me, show me, show me your, show me where you're not changing in that. Show me your, your character. Show me who you really are in, in spite of the things that I am reading and seeing as, as different, I guess, or as changed. Does that make sense? Um, I think the most obvious example is, you know, you have old covenant and new covenant. And, but that old covenant is still the, the character behind it is of a God who's unchanging. 
Um, surprise what I'm going to read. I've written down Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 23. And let's find out why. Because all the fun's happening in here. Come on in. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> this is for all you stubborn and rebellious sons in the room. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and who, when they have chastened him, will not heed them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders of the city, to the gate of his city. And they shall say to the elders of the city, the son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall put away the evil from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Yeah, that's an unchanging God who establishes that that's what to do. That's an unchanging God who establishes that's what to do with stubborn and rebellious sons. And will put to end the, the rest of the stubborn yeah. and rebellious sons of that generation. Right. And so here's what, um, I'm not going to oversell it as if I've read the Bible so many times. Cover to cover, I've read the Bible one time. I've read many parts of the Bible many times. Um, I've read... Uh, you know, I've read the first book, five books of the Bible. I couldn't tell you how many times. I'm trying to get on a, a pattern where I go through the Bible yearly. Um, what I can tell you is that I've read this a lot of times. And because it doesn't apply, because I am not going to take my stubborn and rebellious sons uh, to the men of the city and have them stone him to death so that um, they'll put the evil away from among you and Israel, all Israel shall hear and fear. I've kind of just dismissed that. I just go, well, that's not what we do. That's not whatever. But the heart of God and the character of God and the unchangingness of God takes it extremely seriously. Right. To extremely, that seriousness didn't go away. Stubborn and rebellious sons, a Lord's, the, the, a Lord, the Lord, our God, still looks at that with the same intensity that he looked at it with when this was how it was dealt with. We just don't deal with it that way anymore. This is not a message to stubborn and rebellious sons. I pulled that out as an example, obviously, because I didn't even know what I was reading. I pulled that out as an example of it's okay to, to look at and see the intensity of something, of how the Lord sees something, and it would be fine that just because you're not going to be stoned, if you're stubborn and rebellious to your parents, they're not going to stone you and not have you stoned. Yeah, I mean, probably not. Um, yeah, I'm talking to you too. You're a stubborn and rebellious son at times. Am I? I'm a stubborn and we're sons. We're all sons. I wasn't. That didn't mean it like it sounded. All of us who are sons can be stubborn and rebellious sons. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to stay here forever. My point is that that is an example of we can look at and see that the. But we don't. We don't look at that. We do not look at the intensity and the seriousness of God in that way. And why? Because the, the, 
way that we handle it has changed. We don't do that anymore. And so we remove the seriousness of God in it. And so we rebel. And our culture is the worst for it. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, Another one that I had this. So we have, this is actually, this is huge. Under old covenant, there was a requirement that sin must, must be, not could be. Sin must be atoned for by the shedding of blood. There was a sacrificial system in place. Christ's blood was shed uh, once for, for us all, for one, once and for all, atoning for our sin, doing away with the sacrificial system. So did, there was a requirement of shed blood atoning for sin. Christ did this one time for us. It's done. Did that do away with the requirement of shed blood atoning for sin? This, the requirement is the same. There still needs to be shed blood atoning for sin. Those that have studied out worship and have studied out the sacrificial system and the worship, and, and you understand, any Christian actually should understand, the, the problem is that they don't. I mean, you don't hear, the, you don't hear the, sh- the shed blood of Jesus. You don't hear the blood preached. You don't hear the intensity of, this is the only way to have atonement for your sins, it is that you have to accept that Christ's blood Covers, covers you. That, that is what atones for your sin. Not goodness, not church, not tithing. Not, it's, it's the shed blood of Christ. It is a requirement. Hebrews 10. One through 14. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of things, can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they have ceased to be offered. For then would they have ceased to be offered. Offered? For the worshippers, once purified, would have no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sin every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when we came into the world, therefore, when he came into the world, he said, "Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have no pleasure." Then I said, "Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God." Previously saying, "Sacrifice." Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The requirement is the same. The way we do it changed. Even that ultimate example of an unchanging God who requires that sin must be atoned for by the shedding of blood is overlooked by so many churches and Christians. How many churches totally avoid talking about the blood and how many avoid the requirements of God's ways really altogether? I think what I'm trying to hopefully successfully build is 
that in this progression and this getting away from how things are established by an unchanging God for us, we now are to a point where we don't even ask what God requires of us. We've gone so far away from the intensity of things, we've dismissed that. And as, I'm, as I've been looking at this, what would we be seeing, I'm, I'm, or what would we be shown, what would we see, I'm left with kind of reflecting on what do we even have? What do we even actually really do as a requirement of the Lord? What do we sacrifice? What are we uncompromising in? What are we willing to give up? What things do we do that, and I won't name any one thing, but there are definitely things that I think about that I feel convictions of that we're like, well, I mean, I, you know, that would be legalism or that would be, we'd look so extreme or we'd look, but we, where we are right now to people that are way more progressive, they're calling us extreme. We look extreme, but haven't we moved at some, we have to know that we have moved away from something the same way that people that we look at have moved away from something, whatever that, whatever it is, whatever those things are in our lives, they're, I promise you we have. There's no possible way that the way that we're doing it is perfect, that we're doing it all right. No, there are things that we should adhere to. There are things that we should do differently. There are convictions that we should have. There are requirements that the Lord has of us that we should really, really strictly, sternly hold to. And when the Lord starts to speak those things to us and tells us what those things are, we shouldn't say, oh, well, I'm covered. I'm covered by the blood. Yeah, that's true. I have grace. Yeah, that's true. How did grace become this thing in our lives where we have turned God into, well, I have grace. I'm covered by the blood. And so you must require absolutely nothing of me. And so what is God even in our lives anymore? God just exists simply to make me comfortable, provide for me, keep me from sorrows, keep me from pains, keep me from all these things that we have these requirements of God and we don't allow God to have any requirements of us because we have some things that are true. They're truths. They're things that are true. Yeah, my, I'm, this isn't a salvation message. I, I have salvation. I have that. That means I, the Lord requires nothing of me. I am going to read, and I think if I recall, I kind of trimmed this down because it was going to take a long Time to get through this, and I'm hoping that I've prepped this well enough. I was reading this, uh, I think, a couple weeks ago, and this was another place that I saw an unchanging God calls for something. And we dismiss things because the way that the way the way it's done is different, and so suddenly these things just don't apply, and this character of God is just dismissed in our minds. Now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all His commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. 
and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Side note, we, we, we really, really dismiss the Lord doing something for us because of something or because of a, a, if there's a therefore or if then, we remove that. The Lord's going to do this thing for me. Blank, period. That's it. No more requirement. No. Because of something. Because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be you when you come in, and blessed shall be, blessed shall be you when you go out. There's more. I'm not going to read all this. You guys have Bibles. But then it jumps as it goes through these, uh, through these blessings. I'm going to skip ahead to, but it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and all his statutes, which I command you today that all these curses will come upon you forever, oh, will come upon you and overtake you. If you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. That right there is not, is not the God that we have allowed this, this world that defines who God is for us. That's removed from that. Cursed shall be you in the city, and cursed shall be you in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Cursed shall be you when you come in, and cursed shall be shall you be when you go out. Note, when I was reading this, I'm stopping right there. Note, when I was reading this, it spent a long time on... There's a lot here that I was reading, like, because what jumped out to me when I was reading it was like, oh, this is mirroring. There's the blessings, and then there's the, there's the opposite of that. There's the, if you do this, here's the curses. If you don't do, I mean, if you do this, here's the blessings. If you don't do this, here's the curses, and it's worded, like matching word for word, like kind of side by side. But it just goes on. It goes on in the things that are going to happen that are curses. It goes on. It's difficult for me to even stand up here and speak this because it, it comes across as this uh, harsh or intense or legalistic or like, what are you getting at then? Where should we be? All I'm saying is there's a character, there's an unchanging God that we have changed. There is a character of the Lord that we have removed that character. And for me myself, I am currently going through the Bible with a focus on seeing God's character, seeing the unchanging, seeing those aspects of the Lord that are unchanging in contrast to how they've been changed in our minds, to how we have determined that these things about God don't exist, that they're, they're, they're not there. So I'm going to close with this. I believe God desires his people to return to his ways, turning from our wicked ways, Church looks different now. There's a lot of talk. I'm talking about church, the way we do church right now, sitting here, looks different 
than it looked very, very a year ago. Church looks different right now. There's a lot of talk about what the New Testament church looked like. And as we read our Bibles, we should be seeing God as the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. How have we come so far from where we started? As an example of what a New Testament church would be. How have we reduced God to existing to serve us? to answer our prayers and provide for us and keep us. Do we even fear the Lord? What do we allow God to require of us? How much of God's ways, how much transforming by the renewing of our minds, lining up with God's ways, do we even give room for? That's my closing thought.